Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, fellow explorers. It's good to have you. I am Jonathan Robinson, and I'm here with my trusty sidekick, Brian Tom O'Connor. And we're also here with a guest explorer, Lion Goodman, who is one of the world's experts, as far as I know, on beliefs. And that's a subject that I find fascinating. How do our beliefs affect awakening? How do they affect everything we do? How do you get rid of the old ones? How do you install new ones? How do you deal with this subject, which is determining so much of our lives? And before we get to asking Lion and interrogating him about all these questions, I will tell you a little bit about him. Um, he's a subconscious pattern detective, a belief therapist, and a healer of the psyche. Uh, he does a lot of coaching and coaches many coaches. Uh, he has created the clear beliefs method to transform beliefs at the core of the psyche. He's written four books, one of them called Clear Your Beliefs. Another one I have to ask him about is called Menlightenment, a book for awakening men. And you can reach him and learn a lot more about him at Lion Goodman, L-I-O-N, goodman.com. And welcome to Awareness Explorers, Lion. It's great to have you here. Thank you both. I'm really happy to be here. Well, you know, you know so much about beliefs, and it's really an undervalued subject, I think, because it, they determine so much of our life and so much of our relationships and money and interfere with awakening. Now, I'm wondering how you got into this subject and maybe what you've discovered along the way. So how'd you get into this? Well, like you, I've been an awareness explorer as long as I can remember. I remember back in junior high school trying to figure out why people were the way they were and why I was so different and therefore weird and alone. <laughs> so, so that made me odd from the very beginning. And uh, so I was trying to figure out what makes people tick. And later, my first teacher asked the question in a really good way, which is, what is the nature of human nature? And I was very fortunate to have wonderful teachers along the way exploring consciousness. And so I tried everything I could, anything that would help me answer that question, whether it was a study of psychology or philosophy or linguistics or you know, deep inner meditation or yoga or shamanic practices, uh, workshops. And I counted once over the, over the years, I took more than 100 workshops and trainings trying to understand myself other people in the world. And obviously, I was trying to fix myself. There was clearly something wrong with me. And, That's and always so, a good entry point, trying to fix ourselves. I think Brian and I can definitely attest oh, I, to the value of pain in moving forward. I can relate. And it sounds exactly like what started my search. But, but right. do continue. <laughs> And I'm, I'm sure, like you, I'm sure we've all come to the same conclusions that there was nothing wrong with us in the first place, but it does launch that search, that, that yes. quest. 
Right. Uh, and so what I noticed over the decades of this exploration were that certain techniques and certain processes really worked for me, and most of them didn't. Most of them had, you know, I got a high from a workshop, but then two weeks later, I was back to the same old me. But some things were profound and had permanent shifts uh, occurring in my life. And so I started looking at the pattern. What were those? What made them do that? And what I realized is that the ones that were profound and permanent were concomitant with a belief change, with a deep belief change. And the one I like to, to put forth was one of the early ones when I was a young man in, in psychotherapy. And um, I realized, oh, my God, it's not my mother's fault. <laughs> that was a huge revelation. It's like that belief, you know, from it's my mother's fault to it's not my mother's fault had big and profound implications. Yeah. Uh, and all of the things that I saw were belief shifts. And so I started studying beliefs themselves. I read everything I could get my hands on and I tried different workshops and different techniques. What is it? What are they? Where do they come from? How do they function? You know, and how can we change them? And so that was really the foundation of my own particular quest. And all the conclusions I've come to have been built up from all that study, more than 45 years of study and practice of different techniques and, and understandings of human nature. I love talking to somebody like you because I haven't studied beliefs for 45 years. I've studied them for about 45 minutes and, um, and realized, wow, this is a really important area in awakening too, because you know, there's so many beliefs that we have, which are counter to awakening. First of all, you know, I'm an individual and those people are totally out there and different from me. But, it, you know, even beliefs like it's my mother's fault will take you away from awakening. Every belief in a certain way takes you away from awakening. So how do you, uh, I, in a certain way, we like beliefs because they make us feel safe and they make us feel like we know what's going on. So in awakening, you're kind of taking away all that. And it seems like that would be a, a challenging thing to try to do. That's why awakening is challenging, <laughs> because, because we would rather believe something, even if it's not true, than to not know. The brain does not like to not know. It's, it, it creates anxiety, and we want to grab onto something and know something. And that in knowing something is better than knowing nothing. And awakening is a lot about letting go of everything and not knowing, right? Being able to be in that expansive piece of, of awareness. But that's a very nerve-wracking state for the ego. Now, I want to talk about what beliefs are, because most people think of beliefs as an intellectual concept that we're committed to, like, I believe in God, or I believe I should get a raise, or I believe I'll have another beer, you know, whatever that belief is. It's like, it's, it's something that is uh, an intellectual construct. But what I found was that beliefs are actually the infrastructure of the human mind, that underneath our mind itself is this need to identify patterns and then use them for survival. Uh, my friend Jeremy Lent calls it the patterning instinct, and he has a great book by that name. And it's really a deep instinct. Babies in the womb are still are trying to see and notice patterns. It's the, a fundamental uh, action of the mind. And so a baby in the womb can, for example, tell the difference between the mother's voice and the father's voice, even though it's muffled through the, through the body. Uh, they can identify 
voices still uh, in inside the womb. And we, while we're in the womb, we're getting messages, chemical messages from our mother's body. So if she's afraid because of uh, a violent husband or because of poverty or war, uh, her hormones, her fear and, and, and upset hormones, the cortisols are coming right through the placenta into the baby's developing brain. And the baby is experiencing the same feelings that the mother is experiencing. So we want to come to conclusions and a natural conclusion from being in the midst of fear uh, of the mother is the world is dangerous. And that's a kind of conclusion now for a baby in the infant, for, for an infant in, still in the womb, or even for a young child, uh, it's not a verbal idea. It's not a verbal or mental construct. It's an experiential conclusion. So I feel this way, therefore, the world must be dangerous. And then we come out of the womb and we go from being well cared for and everything we, everything we need into this bright, uncomfortable environment. And, and babies, as soon as they come out, they're looking for patterns. When I held my baby for the first time, she was looking up and seeing a pattern that the the, the screen, the window screens were making on the wall. And I saw her looking at it and going, wow, she's, she's perceiving patterns already. Like she's, yeah. you know, minutes old. And, and yet she's designed to identify patterns. And so the now, pattern a lot, of those, a lot of those patterns really end up being based on trauma, I would imagine. Absolutely. Because when a child is be, being traumatized, which basically means they're not getting their needs met. Yeah. And that's fundamental, like baby comes out expecting to have their needs met. And then whether it's neglect or abuse or harm or being bottle fed instead of breastfed and being fed something that isn't right for your body, all of these things are affecting the baby and making them uncomfortable. And then they're trying to figure out why is this happening to me? And again, this is all pre-verbal. It's non-verbal. It's experiential conclusions. So most babies conclude well, I'm supposed to be cared for. I'm not being cared for. There must be something wrong with me. Which and that's like the, most... the number one belief, I would imagine. Absolutely. Everywhere I go, every country I've been in, every person I ask this question, that is fundamental to our beingness. Now, then it gets reinforced. So that conclusion gets reinforced. The mother shows disgust when changing a diaper and the baby's yeah. feeling, dis oh, there's something disgusting about me. Or the little brother looks down into the crib and says, I'm going to kill you because you took mother's attention away. <laughs> like, oh, there's, I'm a bad person, right? So these influences, the baby's open to sort of the psychic field, right? The mental and emotional field around them. And they're getting all these messages. The brain's built to sort information and to come to conclusions so that they can survive. So, so if you've a baby... made a, a really good case for why we are all terribly screwed up. Yes. <laughs> and um, and I, I get that all these things happen to us. We develop layers and layers of these beliefs. So by the time a person's 20, they are under like 100 layers of mostly negative beliefs. And and in a way, we can't avoid that situation. But we never learn how we never. First of all, we don't even know what these beliefs are. And I know that you have some systems for helping people quickly see that, oh, this is what my belief is about money. This is my belief about relationship. This is my belief about spirituality. And I wonder if you can mention a little bit like how a person can see what 
these invisible things are that have been programmed into us? Sure. First, I want to say that that there are negative beliefs. Um, I, I'm a, I'm limited, or I uh, there's something wrong with me. Then there's also a destructive belief, like I I don't deserve to live, or I don't deserve to be fed. Right? There are neutral beliefs. That is a cat. Okay. Well, that doesn't have any emotional charge to it, but it's a belief. All of our language is a belief structure. That is the animal with the sound cat attached to it. That's a belief. Then there's positive beliefs, like I'm a good person. And there's even enlightening beliefs, like I am source. So we don't need to get rid of the good ones, uh, the ones that are working for us. We need to get rid of the ones that are interfering with our lives, limiting our lives, that are problematic in relationships or in career or, or in awakening. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah. So I just wanted to make that distinction that we yeah. people often ask, well, can I get rid of all my beliefs? And my answer is sure. Just be sure you have an attendant who can change your diaper and feed you. <laughs> so uh, we beliefs are are the structures we use to perceive the world and get along in the world. So if you have the belief, you know, look both ways before you cross the street, that's a good belief. That's very useful for human beings. Uh, and so if you got rid of that belief, you could get hit by a truck. Yeah. So how do you identify beliefs? First, there's the conscious beliefs. Those are the ones that are pretty easy to find. And, and so you could say, what do I believe about money? And, you, and your brain says, money's dangerous. Go, okay, thank you. you. Write that down. And then you ask the question again, what I believe about money is, and then you'll hear your mind say something else. Money's dirty. Okay, you write that down. And then you ask it again and again and again and again, and you get a list of beliefs that are just natural responses of your own mind to that question. So you can do that in any category. In fact, in my eBooks, I give this exercise called belief self-diagnosis in which you do that in each category of life. What do I believe about sex? What do I believe about love? What do I believe about knowledge? What do I believe about spirituality? And so when you do that, you get a long list. People come out with very long lists of beliefs and then you sort through them and say, okay, which of these are positive for me? Which of them are productive and good for me? Which of them are interfering? Which of them are really holding me back? And then you focus on the negative ones. Yeah, yeah. Now, Brian, I know you have some questions. Why don't you ask away? Well, I do have a bunch of questions, but probably the first is um, to ask uh, you to go into a little more detail about how we actually do change our beliefs, because I know that, for instance, you know, a core negative belief, like I'm, I'm bad, I'm fundamentally flawed is something that, that's so deep, that's so almost preconscious, or that was formed in such an early age, um, that's not so easily replaced. So what 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 do we do about it? What I recognized in this long period of study was that if you treat a belief like an intellectual concept or construct, you can get rid of the intellectual construct, but it doesn't impact your emotional body or your physical body or even the spiritual body. If you tap and, you know, and say, uh, even though I believe this, I'm a wonderful person, uh, that helps at some level of consciousness, but it doesn't cover everything. Most techniques don't touch the subconscious mind, especially the subconscious mind that's pre-verbal, which is where we got a lot of those negative beliefs in the first place. The reason is, is that our beliefs are formed out of experience and experience is multidimensional. 
And that means our beliefs are multidimensional. They're in every part of us. They're not just in the mental mind space. And being experiential and multidimensional, in order to clear something like that, you need a multidimensional process. Otherwise, you're only clearing part of it out. And the, that's the reason why beliefs come back over and over and over again for people that are trying these other techniques. So with that established, now we can say, all right, how can you approach a belief that's multidimensional in a multidimensional way? I happen to use guided imagery as one of the main tools, but also embodied mindfulness. We go into the body and feel the body. Where does that belief feel in your body? So for example, if somebody has the belief, I'm bad, we'll start with, okay, when you believe that, how does it feel? Because feelings are the emotional, sensorial, embodied, somatic place that they live. And then, then what we'll do is we'll say, okay, imagine spiraling back in time and feel all the times you felt that way. Now we're using the memory system to go back experientially and find those linked belief experiences. And we often get back to infancy before there's words. And now we're in the pure experience of that incident or, or multiple incidents that created that particular conclusion. And so we're using the mental verbal arena, but we're using it to guide them into the nonverbal preverbal memories, the implicit memories. That's not just what happened, but what meaning we made of it. And so now we're down at the meaning level. And this is what I call a causal or belief layer. And then when you make a change, when you clear it at that level, you're clearing it from the whole system, not just the mind, not just the emotions, not just the body. So when you've gone deeply in, in and you, you really experienced that belief, not just on a mental level, but in a deep, you, you sense it in your body, you feel the energy of it and the emotion, um, then, then what then what do you do? How do you how do you how do you change it? How does it go away? How do you transform it? Well, that's that's my secret sauce. But I will be taking people through that, through an exercise in which they can sample that. You know, toward the end of our talk, I'm going to take people into an experience that that happens. Essentially, we're using the imagination or what I refer to as the imaginal realm as a way to do that because in the imagination anything can happen, but our memories are also imaginal just like our dreams are imaginal. They're in this realm in which, which is non-physical. And to the brain, if you imagine something, it's not much different than experiencing it directly. And so what we can do is we can set up a re-imagining of what occurred or a re-experiencing of what occurred. We make it very fully experiential and guide someone into a different experience. So for example, um, I was working with a fellow today who who got beat up as a kid and with a whole bunch of kids around him laughing at him uh, for being beat up and being on, on the ground with somebody pinning him down. That was an experience that included not just the physical feeling of, of helplessness, but also the humiliation of being seen and laughed at by and, and lowering of status. All of these are part of the same experience. So I could bring him back to that experience and change what happens. For example, an adult might come in and rescue him, you know, perhaps an older brother or a father, perhaps even his, his current self coming in and 
taking him out, we call this rescuing the inner child, taking him out of that situation and talking to him and saying, hey, look, you don't win every fight. You know, sometimes you'll be beat up and sometimes you'll beat up the other guy. And, you know, besides fighting isn't all that great anyway. So that actually shifts the memory. In psychology, they call this memory reconsolidation. And because the in the imaginal realm where our memories are, it we're in that state forever. When a child is traumatized, that child at that age is traumatized forever. In other words, they're in the eternal now in that space. And we change where they are and what they're experiencing. And now they're in that new space experiencing that now forever. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving you kind of the underpinnings of the secret sauce for how do we shift those deep experiential memories by giving that child of that age a different experience. Now, now I've taken uh, your belief closet uh, workshop, which was many years ago, and I found a, a pretty ingenious method. Yet, you know, there's so many beliefs, and some of those beliefs were were reinforced over and over again. Do you ever have people go through the process over and over again? Because I would imagine if you have a hundred times it's been reinforced here, and you do this process one time, that doesn't quite do the whole thing. Do you have people do it as like a meditation sometimes? Good question. Uh, so first of all, beliefs come in clusters. Now, mm -hmm. I happen to believe because this is my belief in, in my programs based on this is that when you discreate a belief, when you actually uncreate it, you're uncreating it completely and forever. Mm. And it's gone. And most people report after this process, you say, well, now imagine being in that situation again, or imagine feeling that, or imagine what it feels like to have that belief. And they go, yeah, it's just, I don't feel that anymore. Oh, wow. So, so it's that powerful. It's that powerful. And that's that can happen in one session. Now, mm -hmm. it's also true that beliefs come in clusters. And so often when, when they are feeling that thing again, they're actually feeling a different but associated belief. So I'm no good. Nobody likes me. Uh, uh, there's something wrong with me. I'm deeply flawed. Any, all of those are beliefs that cluster together and reinforce each other. So what we have to do is actually pick up, you know, get rid of one and then the next one and the next one and the next one. And there's a fairly limited number of those beliefs based on our language and our experience. You know, dad said, you're an idiot 20 times. You got the message. I'm an idiot, right? Yeah. It's not, I'm an idiot and a fool and st stupid. And, you know, it's, but if those things got said too, each of those beliefs have to be treated. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, focus on beliefs and spirituality. You know, it's it's interesting to me. Obviously, there's five thousand different religions. The only thing that they all share is that they're all absolutely right. You know, and uh, I find it interesting that everybody kind of gets self righteous about their beliefs. You know, there's a, a sense like my belief happens to be right, everybody else's is wrong, and we defend them. And it seems like, from what Brian and I know, especially as you're trying to awaken, that you're really trying to let go of all these layers of beliefs, until what's left is just our awakened presence. Or, or earlier, you were talking about um, how the mind doesn't like to not know. And so I'd like to know how to not know. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you've seen the video where um, the psychologist says, stop it. 
Yeah, just yeah, like <laughs> stop believing that. That's that's the easy answer. Bob um, Newhart. Bob Newhart. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Um, if anybody hasn't seen that video of Bob Newhart, just Google stop just, it. Yes, I recommend it highly. <laughs> and we do have to have a sense of humor about these things too, because we are human after all. Um, so, first of all, it wasn't always that my belief was right and yours was wrong. You know, before the Jews, before Egypt, uh, where Akhenaten came in and said, there's only one God, it's Ra, and your gods are going to be destroyed. Before that exclusivism, there was was polytheism. And I have my gods, you have your gods, we have our gods, the city has gods, the, the country has gods. And so there was tolerance for all these different religious or spiritual beliefs and powers. Um, Akhenaten started it, then the Jews carried it on and, and made it exclusive. Now, our God is the only God, and therefore we have to kill you if you don't believe in our God. So that started 5,000 years of really bad policy. <laughs> yeah, and now we've taken it into politics and many other areas as well. Yeah, um, Con Constantine brought it into the state. You know, now Constantine says it's a state religion. Now we've got politics and religion mixed up, and now it gets really bad. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so we have we have a few thousand years to deal with, but the fact is it hasn't always been that way. Uh, mm -hmm. So, how do we get from my God is the best God on the block, and He's going to beat up your gods <laughs> to to a, a tolerance for like okay, well we'll all live together and have a good time. Uh, all beliefs uh, get reinforced because we look through them. So yeah. if I believe the world that work is hard, I'm looking through that filter and experience and everywhere I look because it's a, a semi permeable filter, right? It's like sunglasses. It only certain things get through. What I see is everybody working hard and work is hard. So yeah. all beliefs are, are self reinforcing. That's one of the problems with beliefs. Uh, so when someone believes I'm my God is exclusively right and yours your ideas are wrong. That's what they see. Uh, one of the exercises I take my students through is to try on beliefs that you have not previously tried on. And when I was doing this exercise for myself, I tried on the belief, Jesus is God. If you believe you are saved, and if you do not believe you're going to hell. And I really took it on. And so you can try on beliefs like clothing. And so I tried it on and experienced what is it like to believe that. And as I looked around at other people, I realized, oh, my God, these people are going to go to hell. I need to save them. Like, immediately, I understood proselytizing. It's like, it's not just trying to convince somebody, it's trying to help them by by getting them saved, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so we can do that with other beliefs, and we can try them on and see what it's like. This is the old story of you know, walk a mile in somebody else's moccasins before you criticize them. And yeah. but it's trying them on from the inside, like seeing what that filter looks like at the world. And it seems like certain beliefs are closer to what I'll call truth, which is a belief. But certain beliefs are say more freeing or more expanded, like. One of the times when I was talking to uh, Ramdas, uh, I asked him, you know, what is one of his beliefs about spirituality? And he said that there's only one of us here in drag. Great quote. And, and I started to like 
try that on like an outfit what would it be like if i saw that there's really only one of us here and we're all in these different forms but we're all this one part of this human large being and you know that person doing that is maybe the shadow of part which i'm not playing or they're playing the the extrovert i'm playing the introvert and it was very freeing to take on that belief which was obviously different than how i normally look at which is we're all individuals and you know if you're suffering it has nothing to do with me and i'm wondering if there are other so-called spiritual beliefs that you're aware of that you think are helpful for awakening most of them are <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's a really good example is we are one, like there's only one yeah. mind, there's only one being and we're all in disguise. And, uh, and, and you know, who, who dressed you in that costume this morning? That's right. the follow on question. Uh, so that's, that's a really good one, because it shifts your point of view. Now, is it true? Nobody knows. But as a belief, as a way of looking at the world, it's quite helpful because you stop beating other people up for who they are. So as a social construct, it's a helpful belief because we, or we it changes our behavior and our decisions because every belief is influencing not just our perception, but also our decision-making process and our actions. So we could go back to Aristotle, who's, who's my favorite philosopher, and say, you know, what are virtues? The virtues are the qualities and behaviors, and they have to be practiced, that produce happiness, that produce human flourishing, not just for myself, but for my family and community and the world, right? So if we focus on those qualities, any belief that brings those qualities up, love, wisdom, courage, helpfulness, kindness, you know, these are the qualities that throughout all civilizations have been brought up as the virtues. Sometimes they're more exclusive, like the Catholic Church has their seven <laughs> deadly sins and seven divine virtues. Um, but, but all of the virtues do that. They change our behavior and bring us into harmony with each other and into kindness. They make a better world. Yeah, so I would say... In the right direction. Exactly. So any, any belief that does that, I would say, is a good belief to have. And it leads you toward that recognition, a higher and higher level of recognition of our oneness, of our integration, you know, spiral dynamics, right? You're including it as well as transcending as you go up the spiral. So when you're seeing the world as, you know, everything that's been, everything it is and everything it could be, that's a great perspective to have. It takes time to get there because there's a lot of beliefs in the way. But as you clear your negative beliefs more and more, it frees you. In fact, all of the techniques I teach have the ultimate goal of, of showing you who you really are at the being level. Because when you, for example, you take on a belief and you feel it and you experience it, and then you take it off and get rid of it, that act helps you realize, oh, I am not the belief. I took yeah. it on, therefore I can take it off. It's just a belief. It's not who I am. And that moment of recognition of, oh, I can take it off, that means I'm not that. That's really key, yeah. Yeah. I find this uh, so fascinating in so many levels. Um, one of them is, I think, the concept of trying on a belief is is so valuable. And certainly in terms of spirituality, when I listen to some teachers who tell me certain things like, when I look at a tree, it's not really out there, it's in here. And then my mind says, no, that's not true. And I realize we're not talking about 
whether or not a belief is true. We're talking about trying it on, taking it on, using imagination. When I just simply say, okay, I don't need to believe this. What if it were true? What if what I'm witnessing out there was actually appearing inside? What if I'm simply the universe looking out through my eyes? I don't need to believe it's true, but if I try it on, it, it opens something, it triggers something, it creates a little wormhole back into universal consciousness. So that's why I'm, I'm finding this fascinating that your ideas about beliefs can be used towards spiritual awakening. Yet not only do our beliefs create our experiences, but our experiences create our beliefs, right? It goes both ways. So what you're what you're saying, what you're pointing to is that when I try on a belief, I'm getting an experience. And beliefs aren't true or false, they're not right or wrong. They're simply tools we use to create experiences. Right. You know, one time I um, realized when I was uh, spending time with Jeffrey Martin uh, of the Finders Course, who we interviewed, he had a belief that was very different than mine. So I kind of tried it on. His belief was that awakening, you don't need any multi-decades of meditation or teachers or anything. You could just, you know, with the right technique, awaken in five minutes. You know, that was his belief. My belief was it takes 40 years of 10 hours a day. And so I, you know, I figured, where did I take that on? And then I tried on his belief. And in five minutes, I'm in an awakened state. And I go, well, that was a waste of a lot of years. <laughs> <laughs> and it's possible that you had to go through those years in order to get to that place where you could, in fact, change your belief that quickly. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. But it made me think like, man, there might, you know, one belief can really hold you back in any area. You know, I used to have a belief that money was for selfish people, you know, and indulgent people. I was living in a van. I didn't have any money. And uh, my belief was obvious because I didn't have any. And then I really used a method to change my belief. And I associate a lot of pain to the belief that money is bad and a lot of pleasure to that money can be used for spiritual awakening and helping people. I did this very consciously. And within five years, I went from having no money to having a million dollars. Yeah, and imagine if you had changed it in five minutes. That would have been even quicker, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of our guests that we had on the show in the past and who's a very dear friend of mine is Bridget Dengel Gaspard, who, um, talked all about uh, voice dialogue, which she learned from Hal and Sidra Stone. And I understand that that's part of your background as well. And, and that's where we where we look at our at the different selves uh, within us. And um, how does that um, did was that something that fed into your um, ideas and systems about beliefs or the other way around? Because you have some background in that as well. Am I correct? I do. I've been trained by by Hal and Sidra. Uh, in fact, when um, I had this incident when I was 26 years old, where I was shot and almost killed, and the first people I met, the first therapists I went to, were down in L.A. And it was um, this woman who introduced me to Hal Stone, who who I then was in a circle with. And at the time, so that's when I first learned it when I was 26 years old from Hal. And um, at the time, I was talking about this evil that had been done to me. And, and Hal said, well, would you like to explore your own inner evil? Now, I was a hippie businessman, right? I was going, 
evil me no that's not me i'm i'm love and peace and light <laughs> yeah, but but the way he said it i went yeah okay i'll try that and so i switched chairs which was the technique at the time and and i became evil and i i was looking around for a baby that i could devour i mean it was that kind of pure evil and i realized oh my god this is in me too All right and that's one of the purposes of, of voice dialogue is that we recognize that it's all in us, that anything we judge out there, we're also judging in here, right? So when we're clearing beliefs, sometimes we come across not a, a belief which can be cleared quickly and instantly, but rather a self, a voice inside of us. And we don't, we don't get rid of the voices. What we do is we negotiate with them. We talk to them, get to know them as if they're people, because we do have these inner people inside of us. Uh, like for the example I like to use is, you know, when you drive home and you don't remember driving there, it's like you're pulling your driveway and you go, I don't remember driving here. That's because we have an inner driver that knows how to drive the car, does a very good job as an expert. And you can do other things. You can be thinking or listening to music or drinking coffee, talking to a person on your cell phone and the driver's doing fine, you know? So, but we also have inner protectors and the protectors are there with the voice in our head telling us what not to do because it will get us in trouble or it will cause us harm or it will lower our status. And we often interject the, the voices of our parents, you know, so that we can align with them. And all of these things are for survival. Like if I align with my parents' opinions, even if they tell me I'm a stupid idiot and I start believing I'm a stupid idiot or I bring their voice inside my head, which is telling me I'm a stupid idiot, that's aligning with my parent. And if I align with them, they will like me more. And if they like me more, it's less likely that they will throw me out to the wolves. So that's a survival mechanism. And so we have to go to that part of us, that self, and have a dialogue with it and say, hey, thank you for protecting me. It's been great. Really appreciate it. But your job is outmoded. You need a new job. <laughs> and so we reassign those selves to different aspects of, of supporting us. They support us in a new way. And so this is called transformational voice dialogue. And, and it's part of the training that I teach because it's fundamental to these shifts that can occur. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I went through a process with you like that. I found it very valuable. And uh, it, yeah, it was definitely useful for me what advice would you have for people to become aware of any beliefs that might be in the way of their further spiritual progression or awakening? Well, I'd almost have to know them in order to know what to advise them. Um, but mm -hmm. in general, I would, I would say, what do you believe about spirituality? Just mm -hmm. as you found, like it takes 40 years to become, to become awakened write them down, write down all the beliefs you have about spirituality, and then start questioning them and say, how is this, how is that belief affecting your life? How is it affecting your practice? How is it affecting your ability to stay stable in that state of pure awareness? Uh, because as soon as you get into that state of pure awareness, the ego goes, ah, it grabs control and re reminds you of something, right? What is it that it's reminding you of? Oh, don't leave the ground. <laughs> it's dangerous to float. Don't leave the ground or whatever it is. So those voices in our heads are, are part of the belief structure. Write them down and start examining them and then use one of the many techniques that are out there to clear them out of the way because they're just interference patterns. Uh, one of my favorite questions is, well, how's that belief working for you? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> 
<laughs> There's always a good answer to that one. And that's yep. kind of what I did when I changed my money beliefs is mm -hmm. I said, well, what pain has that caused me in the past? And if I continue to have that belief, what pain is going to continue to cause me? As you associate clear-cut pain to some of these beliefs, then it's easier to let them go. True, true. And it's a good first step of awareness. Uh, recognizing yeah. that it's painful is not usually enough. Now, you, mm -hmm. took, you did a technique where you reprogrammed yourself with multiple cases of that. And that's why people say affirmations over and over and over again. The problem is, is that that doesn't change the subconscious belief. It's just, it's like trying to stomp on a weed to get rid of it, you know? Well, eventually it'll go away. No, it just gets pissed off and it grows back stronger, right? Uh, because anytime we make a statement, this is a really fundamental principle of the mind. Every time we make a statement that's positive, that moves us forward, a commitment of any kind, it immediately triggers all the old beliefs that are in conflict to come mm -hmm. up and reassert themselves. So someone says, okay, I'm going to lose 10 pounds before I go to the wedding in two months. And immediately you hear, come on, you've never lost 10 pounds in two months. Give it up. Give, forget about it. And another voice says, yeah, but there's a chocolate cake in the refrigerator and you can't possibly start a diet until that's gone. And another part that says, uh, hey, isn't it more important to watch your television program than to think about your diet? So the mind is busy trying to preserve its structure. And so, so that's a natural thing. And most people are stopped in their forward movement, not because of any external circumstances, but because they're listening to the voices in their head and the beliefs are reasserting themselves. And you have to recognize first, it's just beliefs. It's just noise. It's machinery, basically. Mm -hmm. And secondly, you can get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And and what I teach, I, I call the machete principle. It's like you, you can't see, you can't get from here to there in a jungle, in a thick jungle, unless you have a machete. And the machete removes whatever is right in your way. And then you can take a step forward and then you can get rid of the next thing that's in your way and you can move forward again. And so this is how belief work works is that you get rid of the beliefs that are in your way right now that allows you to make some forward movement. And then another one pops up and you get rid of that one. And this is a lifetime process as far as I can tell. Right. You're kind of like shedding pounds, but you're shedding beliefs yes. until you're until you're uh, totally free at zero and and you're open and, you know, the beliefs are no longer you're not no longer looking at the world through 20 layers of different beliefs. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Brian. Yes, it sounds like the entire process is deeper and more complex than I imagined. Uh, because, you know, I came into this w with a sort of a respectful skepticism about changing beliefs. And um, I want to give you an example. Uh, I, I've always found it found that if I had some core negative belief, like I'm fundamentally flawed, that 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 there was nothing that was going to convince my subconscious mind that that was not true as I believed it. And, and, and I, and I experienced something that was a kind of like a, like a microcosm or of this, I, I was in a place to be an actor, and I was in a play and, um, and I had an argument with my wife in the scene and the, and the wife had to slap me. And, and when you slap a person on the face with just the tip of your fingers, and you keep them very loose, it makes a big sound, but it doesn't hurt. And the director wanted me to take that slap without flinching. And it was impossible. I, 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 I didn't 
even though I knew it really wasn't going to hurt. There was absolutely no way that I couldn't flinch. And so we had to devise a stage slap where, you know, you made a, a sound that with your, you know, you made a sound yourself that the audience doesn't see. And then you go like that and, and stuff. And it's a little more fakey and, uh, and not quite as real. But that was because I could not, I, the belief that that caused me to flinch, that this slap was going to hurt, would not give way. And so I, I found psychological beliefs to be as resistant to to that as well. Now, you've discussed this today in, in a great deal because you're going into the real feeling of it. But but I still have that remainder of like, can they really can you really change a belief that's that deep because you want to change it? Well, who created the belief in the first place? Ah, I guess my, I would say the the early me that was trying to protect me. Right. So if yeah. you created it, you can discreate it. You can uncreate it. So uh -huh. that's the real you who took it on for good reasons at the time. And if you recognize that it's just a mechanism, it's just a, a structure that you created, then you have the right to uncreate it. I see. So I was thinking though, when you asked that who created it, I was thinking that it was some me though, that was underneath my conscious control. Whereas the conscious, you know, so there's that unconscious person that created the belief, but that the conscious me wants to get rid of the belief and the unconscious is going to say, sorry, no way, absolutely no way. Right. That's why we, you have to learn to speak the language of the unconscious and the subconscious mind. And that's uh, what I teach because the subconscious speaks in a different language. It doesn't speak in English uh, or any other verbal language. It's, it's a subconscious it's a, it's a different language. So for example, uh, the subconscious speaks in images and sensations, and uh, sometimes it puns, right? You, you have a dream of, of being in a fire and the next day you get fired, right? So the, the subconscious is playing with you with, with puns, but if you, if you learn to speak its language, then you can work down at that level. And at the conscious level, it's hard to do that because we think we, we've got verbal mind from the time we're two or three years old. And to get to the deeper beliefs, you have to go past the verbal level. You have to get all the way into the experiential level that a child's experiencing. Yes, I see. Well, I hear yeah. you have a, a guided meditation that can help people understand what you're talking about that way. And uh, I'm wondering if now would be a good time to, to give us an example of what that would look like. Well, I believe that's up to you. Is it, is it a good time? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a good time, except to just respond to what you said that um, uh, I'm really glad that I asked that question and you and 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 that we dug deeper in it because now because I, I really resonated with the idea that the subconscious mind speaks in a different language and learning to learning to share that language or to communicate in the same language that really made sense and made it so much clearer for me. So, so thank you. I really appreciate that. You're very welcome. And I, I also have to say as an actor, you know, that to get into a character, you have to take on the beliefs of that character, take on their point of view, their viewpoint and their perspective.
That's absolutely right. And when you do the emotion, the emotional life follows. There's a there's an acting technique that's really great. That's I live in a world of and and you decide what your character is like. I live in a world of people who are out to cheat me. I live in a world of needy egos. You take on one of those and your entire behavior and emotional life changes in right. relation to it. Exactly. So the, the, you're taking on the belief and the belief creates an experience and you can see what it's like to be in that experience, that person who believes that. And that's the trying on of beliefs. And then when you're done acting, hopefully you let it go and you're not that person anymore. Right. But, but except for method actors who stay in that character throughout the whole filming, which is mind boggling. Um, um, but that's that's they're living the experience of that character. And of course, we're all characters, <laughs> we're, but literally and figuratively. Right. And we have characters living inside of us and each character, each self has its own set of beliefs. And so we're working with the whole mind, the whole mind, body, self, spirit heart, <laughs> the, the, the whole thing. Yeah, wonderful. In fact, one of the my favorite ways of immediately call it awakening or becoming present is asking the question, can I see through the Jonathan character? Because, you know, he's doing whatever he does. Right. But that's not me. I am awareness. And just asking that question is a very powerful way to immediately realize that you are not that character. Exactly. You're shifting the perspective to that which is not the ego's structure of the self, because yeah. the whole who we believe we are is the ego, is the, the character that we are being, uh, who we believe other people are and how they are and what our relationships are. That's the second layer and, and what the world is. We have, so we have self-beliefs, other beliefs and world beliefs. And they all impact us. They all limit us. And here's the other key is that all beliefs are limiting. We say the limiting beliefs, right? But they're all limiting because they take the entire universe of truth of being it all <laughs> multidimensionally and in an every way. And we shrink it down into a structure that, that our mind, our simple mind can handle. So I am lion. Well, that takes the multidimensionality of me and puts it into the form that I can actually communicate with you through. Because if I'm who I actually am as a multidimensional being that's equal to God, it might be hard for us to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but Jonathan, I interrupted you in your um, nifty segue to the guided meditation. So please, uh, please continue. Well, I think we now have a really good understanding and background. And um, I think the only thing left right now is give us a little taste of what it's like to try on a belief or maybe take one off and and then we'll come back and uh, and tell you what that was like for us. Good. And uh, how much time do I have for this journey? Anywhere from, uh, say, 15 minutes or less. OK, I can do that. OK, so listeners. Close your eyes and relax. We're going to go on a journey together. Take a few breaths, feel your feet on the ground, and just rest in your being, rest in your body. We've been talking about beliefs, and you may have discovered already a belief that you have 
that's interfering with your life? And if so, use that belief in this exercise. And if you're not sure or you don't know what belief to work with, you can use the most common belief, which is there's something wrong with me. So when I say the belief, I will use the example, there's something wrong with me. If you have a belief that's more personal, substitute that when I give the instructions. So with a relaxed mind, I'm going to take you on a journey and I'd like you to imagine that you're walking through a forest, beautiful forest. It's a warm day, the sun's shining. You can see the bright leaves, all the colors of green and the trees and the bushes. And you're walking on a very soft dirt path. In fact, it's so soft, you might even want to take your shoes off and walk barefoot. And as you're walking, you're looking around, you're looking at the sky and some beautiful clouds floating by, feeling the sun on your face or the shade of the trees. And you're walking and feeling natural, feeling easy, feeling relaxed. And as you're walking, you see up ahead a, some kind of opening. You're not sure what it is yet, so you get curious. And as you approach the opening, you see a large meadow. And in the center of the meadow is an unusual structure. It's a circle of stones, standing stones. And in the center, you can see a fire burning. And you also see another object. And so this makes you curious. And so you walk up toward the circle or down toward the circle. And you recognize this as a place created by the ancestors, a sacred place where you can get rid of old beliefs and take on new beliefs. And so before you enter, you recognize that you should be courteous. And so you ask for permission to enter the circle and use it for your own well-being. And when you get that permission, you enter the circle and you see a sacred fire at the center. And you recognize this as a sacred fire which burns beliefs back to their original nothingness. And you also see near the fire a mirror it may be an old ancient mirror. It might be something new and modern, but you see a mirror and you recognize this mirror as the mirror, the mirror of beliefs. And again, you get curious. So you walk up to the mirror and you see what you're wearing and you don't have to create it. You can just look in the mirror and see what it is you're wearing. Now, usually you're wearing normal clothing for a good hike. So if that's the case, take it off and just set your clothing aside. If it's unusual, just take note of what the outfit looks like. If you've taken off your clothing, I'd like you to close your eyes, or even if you have kept the costume or the clothing on, close your eyes. And I want you to feel what it feels like to hold the belief that you've chosen. It may be there's something wrong with me. So with your imaginal eyes closed, feel what it feels like to hold that belief. 
such as there's something wrong with me. Notice what it feels like in your body to feel that belief, to feel what it feels like to have and hold that belief. It usually feels pretty crappy. So when you open your eyes, the mirror will show you a new costume, a new outfit that represents that belief. And so go ahead and open your imaginal eyes and look in the mirror and see what you're wearing now. It may be unusual clothing. It might be a costume. It might be something from the past. You could look different in the mirror. But just recognize this as a reflection of that belief, a representation of that belief. It's an outfit of clothing that represents this belief. And notice how this outfit feels on your body, whether it's restrictive, whether it's heavy, what it's made of, what color it has, what shape and the length. And again, recognize this as a representation of that belief. And now the question comes, is this a belief you want to keep or is it one you want to get rid of? If you've decided to get rid of it, I want you to take off this outfit, take it off. Sometimes it peels off like regular clothing. Sometimes it requires help. So you could call in an angel or, or an assistant to come and help you take it off. And make sure all the parts of the outfit come off and fall to the ground. You are the one that took it on. You are the one that can take it off. And make sure all the parts have fallen to the ground. And then look inside your body. Beliefs often are planted deep in our bones or our muscles or our organs. So look to see where this belief has lodged itself inside of you and begin to pull it out from your imaginal body. Take it out of your brain and your mind and your eyes and your organs, your bones and your muscles and your cells. Strip it out, pull it out, and let it all fall to the ground. Sometimes it comes out easily. Sometimes you have to work at it. Whatever is true for you, pull all of it out and let it fall to the ground. And if that's complete, feel what it feels like to not have this belief in you or on you anymore. There's usually some relief involved. And if you're still in the process, get help to clear it all out of you, off of you, until you can stand without it on your body or in your body, and it's all on the ground. And now look down at the ground where all of this stuff has been taken off of you and, and out of you. 
and begin to gather it up, like put it in the form of a ball that you could hold in your two hands and pick it up off the ground and regard it as a belief that you no longer have in you or on you. And we're going to do a ceremony now. So walk over to the fire, the sacred fire that burns beliefs back to their original nothingness, but don't put it in the fire yet. Because every belief we have has served us in some way, even negative beliefs, such as there's something wrong with me have served us to align with our parents or to, to uh, help us stay safe. And so as you look at this belief outfit that you've taken off and you're holding in your hands, regard it with appreciation. Even if it's hurt you, even if it's been a terrible burden, still send it some appreciation because everything wants to be appreciated. And say the following phrases to it and feel free to modify these phrases. As you look at it with appreciation, say to it, Thank you for having served me in my life. I've outgrown you and I don't need you anymore. Your job is done. I'm now sending you back to the nothingness from which you came. Now feel free to add any other phrases or things you want to say to this belief before you place it in the fire. Good. And now with reverence, place it into the fire and watch it burn until it's completely gone, nothing left, not even ashes or smoke. This fire is so hot, it's like a nuclear furnace Sometimes it just goes poof and is gone. Sometimes it takes a while. So just allow it to discreate, to uncreate, to go back to its original nothingness. And if it's gone, feel what it feels like to no longer have it in your life. What you've just done is you've created space by discreating this old belief. And in that space, you can create a new belief to take its place. So I'd like you to think about what belief you would rather have instead of that old one that's now gone. For example, if you use the belief that I recommended, you might think of the belief, there's nothing wrong with me. And that's a good belief to start with, but it's not very positive. So upgrade it. Everything is wonderful for me. And that might be just right, or it might be too much. Or perhaps you could try on, I am a divine being, and see what that feels like. And each time you come up with an idea, feel what it feels like to hold that belief. Try it on by saying it to yourself and feeling it. 
If you haven't come up with the right belief, you can use this one. I am a sacred and worthy being. Try it on, feel what it feels like to hold that belief. And if you like it, use that one. You can always change it later. And feel what it feels like now to hold that belief, whether it's I am a sacred and worthy being or your own belief, really feel it in your body. Feel it as if it's 100% true. And think of all 70 trillion of your cells in your body dancing and singing this new belief. They're all taking it on and going, hooray, we, <laughs> this is the new belief, this is true. And feel the celebration of that truth. And let this belief expand into the past, clearing out the past whenever you felt that old belief, let this new belief replace it. And let it expand into the present, all of your current circumstances and relationships. And let it fill all of those spaces. And let it expand further into the future, where new possibilities are created with this new belief. And when you're ready, open your imaginal eyes and walk back over to the mirror and see what outfit you're wearing now. It could be anything. It could be pure light. It could be a scene. It could be golden gowns or wings. Whatever you get, that's your subconscious's way of representing this new belief. Feel what it feels like in your body to have this new belief. And feel what it would feel like to live from this belief. And now comes another question of will. Is this a belief you want to keep? You get to decide. Whatever you decide, look around this sacred place, this sacred circle, feeling this new belief, recognizing and thanking the ancestors or whoever built this place, thanking them for allowing you to use it in this way. Feel your gratitude to be alive. And then begin to walk out the circle toward the entrance where you came in. And as you exit, turn around and give a bow of gratitude to the circle and to the elements and the beings that are here. And wearing this new belief outfit and feeling these new feelings, find your way back to the path and begin walking back on the path, feeling what it feels like to live in this belief, in this place of beauty and nature.
and travel all the way back to your body where you're sitting and listening to my voice and feel this new outfit on this body that you have in this place in this time. Feel the feelings in this body, your 70 trillion cells celebrating this new belief and feel it radiating out of you like a sun into all parts of your life. And when you're ready, open your eyes, look around and see if the world looks any different. This belief will continue to deepen and anchor itself inside of you for the next 48 hours or so. So take good care of yourself. Take a hot bath or a walk in nature and really feel the new feelings that have arisen from this new belief. Thank you for allowing me to guide you. That's a, Thank you. such a great blessing and elegant technology that I really think is um, something that can affect a lot of people in a positive way. So thank you, Lion, for sharing that to, with our listeners. You're most welcome. How was that for you, Brian? Oh, that was wonderful. I, I enjoyed that so much. Although I have to admit that the new belief was a lot more willing to be imagined than the old belief was willing to go away. It it was like, no, no, don't throw me in that fire. <laughs> so I called upon an assistant, an imaginary helper. Good, good. And uh, would you share what the new belief is? I am fabulous. Oh, you are. <laughs> so true. It is so true, Brian. <laughs> I had an, uh, the late great actor, Eric Devine, used to sign every email who are you not to be fabulous? Mm -hmm. Great. It's great. And uh, by the way, that outfit looks really good on you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Something you, I appreciate Jonathan? about you, Brian, is um, sometimes you have strong beliefs and sometimes ours and your mine and your have differed, but you're always open and willing to try on a new belief. And, and that's made our connection better and, and deeper is that, uh, sometimes I try on your beliefs, sometimes you try on mine, and I think we both ended up being more expanded from it. Yeah, I think you're right, and thank you for saying that. Yeah. Jonathan, would you share what your new belief is? Yeah, my new belief is I am stillness and love. Mm. How did that feel? Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's moments where uh, I have felt that, but to really install it into the 70 trillion cells or whatever, I could really feel that and imagine it going forward. And there are so many parts of that technology and that guided meditation that I could appreciate and realize you can only uh, make it from years of experience. So thank you for sharing that. Pleasure. Yeah. Any last words for our listeners, Lion? Remember that your beliefs are merely tools that you use to create experiences. And if you don't like your experience at any moment, change your beliefs. 
if you don't like what's happening, change your beliefs. And if you don't like who you are at any moment, change your beliefs and it will change everything. Well said, well said. Well, uh, people can find out more about you at liongoodman.com, L-I-O-N goodman.com. And you have a lot of information there and free eBooks and all kinds of great stuff. People can uh, get this meditation in a separate thing. If you go to awarenessexplorers.com, there's a whole list of meditations. And if you want to listen to Lion's Guide Meditation, it'll be there. And uh, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. And we send you a bunch of free stuff for support. And it's such a blessing to be able to explore with experts like you, Lion, and learn these new things, which really underlies so much of our lives. And, and uh, I feel honored to have gained new wisdom from you today. Oh, well, the honor is mine. And I just want to say that if, if you're interested in learning this technology, the Clear Beliefs Method, you can go to clearbeliefs.com and learn all about my training. Great. Thank you for having me on this program. Very welcome. Any last words, Brian? I'm very grateful uh, to you, Lion, for coming on and sharing your wisdom and uh, and your spirit and good nature and uh, your overall fabulousness. <laughs> it takes one to know one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, friends, till next time, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.